As I um, was preparing for this morning, and I prepare for sermons in different ways, um, but as I was preparing for today, one of the questions that I thought about in a new way is, is what my objective, what my intentions, what my goal is for serving in this church. And, and to some extent, I can absolutely say this for my coworkers as well, but, but I want to be very clear and explicit with you, church, to say that if I had to boil down what we're about, if I had to, if I had to scale down um, what the pastors, the leaders, what our ministry is here for, uh, in the form of a question, it would be something like, are you in a living personal relationship with Jesus? Now, there are different ways to ask that same question, but in one form or another, the point of preaching, the point of our ministry, the point of why we gather together is to continually invite you, continually remind you what it is to be, continually make available a living relationship with a God who loves you. Now, there's much that can be said about that relationship. Personal does not necessarily mean private. It it does not necessarily mean to be in a living relationship with God, that you will be without strife, that it will always feel joyous. But the question this morning that, that I want you to consider somewhere as I preach, somewhere as you listen to the word read, somewhere this morning over these next few moments is, am I in a, in, in, in a living relationship with Jesus. When we look at the church in Acts, when we look at the early church, what, what we see is a church that has nothing except time before it, nothing except a future. They, they have no past. And so when we come to the book of Acts, we see the church responding to what it means to be in relationship with God. As a people, as a congregation, as, as multiple communities, if you will, and as individuals, what we see in Acts is what it means to respond to the gospel, what it means to be in a communal and individual relationship with God. Every scene, every chapter, every story, every narrative in the book of Acts and and, and even the letters and the instruction in the New Testament are pointing us to what it means to be in a living, joyous relationship with God. And that relationship with God is is not necessarily how we think about relationships today, not necessarily. In fact, Jesus and, 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 and the church that he left, Jesus and the church that he left seem to suggest that a relationship with God is an upside down, inside out kind of a thing. Because Jesus uh, invited us into a relationship where giving was more of a blessing than hoarding. Jesus seemed to invite us and his church seemed to embody the kind of value that, 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 that 
blessing those who cursed you versus defending yourself against them was his way of being. So this morning, hear Acts 14, and because it is a long chapter, I'm not going to read it. We've enlisted the services of the Bible experience again. But listen to these scriptures and listen for the word of God for us today. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lycaonian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. In Lystra there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him saw that he had faith to be healed and called out stand up on your feet at that the man jumped up and began to walk when the crowd saw what Paul had done they shouted in the Lycaonian language Zeus the gods have come down to us in human form Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker the priest of Zeus whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Powerful are you, Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships, to enter the kingdom of God. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Adaliah. From Adaliah, they sailed back to Antioch. 
where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. This is the word of God. Just a little dramatic, but. In Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas are preaching uh, the good news, and we see them on what is called a missionary journey. And they are traveling and extending on the first missionary journey, the gospel. And they go in this chapter to a district in central uh, Asia Minor, and they're near sort of this northern mountainous region in Lyaconia. And the, the chapter says that they end up going to three different areas in this Lyaconian district. And what, what they're doing in uh, these areas are preaching and teaching and trying to bring people um, to this, this new faith in Jesus Christ. And the people in the passage are responding like, like people respond today. And the response is mixed. Paul writes a letter to the Galatians and and his letter to the Galatians can actually fit right inside uh, Acts chapter 14 because he's he's speaking to some of the conflicts that were taking place between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians in this same area, this, this, this area which is now France, the Gauls, the Galatians. And so what he goes into in the letter in Galatians helps us to understand some of what is happening here. Here in Acts 14, that Luke's records, that Luke records in uh, this this early church history. Now, now understand about this passage that this is the first time these listeners, this audience in the Lyconian district, this is the first time we see the apostles uh, interacting with people who have not been prepared to receive the gospel by going to the synagogue. This audience has not heard the news about Jesus. They're, they're not used to attending the synagogue. And so Paul and Barnabas are interacting with, they're, they're coming uh, to an unprepared audience with the good news about Jesus. Some people accept the message and others do not. And the text gets um, a little tricky. It gets violent because uh, the, the Jews from Antioch are poisoning the minds of the people in Iconium. And what happens in Iconium is that Paul and Barnabas get attacked. And, and the Bible says that they stay and John Chrysostom, who's a preacher from uh, the 4th century, says something about why these apostles stay in the region. He says... And he's talking primarily about uh, Paul's words in Galatians, but it fits here. He says that Paul's uh, great objective was not to establish any superiority for himself, but to overthrow the foundation of their error. 
Paul and Barnabas are sitting here working, teaching, living in this, in this um, antagonistic environment, hoping to, in the words of John, the golden mouth preacher, that's what Chrysostom means, in, in his words, to overthrow the foundation of their error. The apostles preach, and, and because of the powerful meaning of their message, people get offended. And some of the residents, as scripture says, get violent. And the Bible says that, that these apostles flee. They run. They don't leave the city. Uh, they, they run. They're afraid. They flee for their lives and they go to a place called Lystra and Derby. Now, now this audience, as I said, does not know God. And, 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 and there may be folks here this morning who would fit really well in the category that you, you do not know God. You don't uh, consider yourself a person of faith. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you are a Christian, but you feel pretty far from God. And you, you don't sense God's presence. And, and, and can, I, can I say to you uh, that it can, be, it can feel pressure, like pressure, when you come around Christians and around a church, when you visit a church and the gospel is being talked about and God is being talked about. And, and there may be a sense that, of expectation for you to conform, if you will. But, but I want to say to you, uh, in, in clear language, if I can, that God will wait for you to encounter him. I think that that truth comes out of this passage. That, that God who is active, God who is at work, God who is missional, God who is moving, is also enduring and patient and careful. And that God who wants to move and get things done will sit for people in districts of Lyaconia and in cities like Chicago and wait until we get a glimpse, until we see the evidence, until we see something that, that points us to God. My question for you this morning, for us to think about is is whether or not we see what God has left for us. Paul says in clear language, Barnabas teaches in common speech that God who is the creator has left in creation evidence to point people to God and, and they preach about the Lord's grace. They preach about the, the grace that they experienced. And a part of that grace is seeing what God has scattered throughout creation to point people to Him. Think this morning about what God has left for you this week, this month, uh, this last month in your life. Have you noticed, have you witnessed things that God has left in your life, in your relationships? 
that, that might need to be acknowledged as a guide, as a map, as a course for you in order to reach your creator. One scholar talking about Luke in his first volume in the Gospel of Luke and in this book of Acts talks about Luke's constant theme of repentance and and how he comes back to repentance in various ways. And and the scholar says of, of Luke's definition of repentance that God overlooked the Gentiles' ignorance of him as creator, which had always been possible for them to see. God is not God is not forgiving these Gentiles in Acts for what they did not know, but God on the other hand is forgiving these Gentiles is allowing them to come into relationship even with the information that they knew. And that that is precisely what God does. God forgives you for everything that you know but that you don't act upon. And, and, And true repentance is understanding that God does not just forgive you for the things that you don't know but God forgives you and more immediately God forgives you for what you don't know but for what you don't do anything with. And in this passage, these listeners in Lystra and Derby have seen things as Paul preaches that give them evidence of God's presence. And still God extends them pardon and extends them patience and extends them grace. When I hear this passage um, and when I read this passage... I see a lot of bad things going on, and I'm, I'm generally wired to point out uh, negative things, or I'm, I'm, a, I'm a negative person in that way. And so I hear this passage, and I see people who are obstinate, I see people who are stubborn, I see people who are violent, I see people who, you know, who just don't want to hear good news, I see people who, who, you know, need something else to do except beat up a preacher, And all that's there, all that's in the passage. And it takes me effort to look for good things. And maybe you're here and you heard that passage or you have your Bible and you read that passage and you said, man, there's a lot of junk in here. And you're like me. It takes you some effort to look for good things. But, but can I say that there, there are one or two good things in this passage. And we need to sit with this long chapter and think that there are certainly bad things here, but good things as well. For example, there's a man who is miraculously healed and that's a good thing. There is a church that's being encouraged, that is being strengthened in their faith, and that is a good thing. There are people who are responding to the gospel, responding to the grace of God, and that is a good thing. That's about all, actually. Everything else is pretty bad. But, but I, you know, I think my point is that there is both good and bad happening in this passage, and I need to say that because most of what I'm going to talk about is the bad stuff. But there is good in this passage, and, and, and we, need to, we need to say that God is allowing these miraculous signs, allowing these healings, allowing these people to respond to Jesus in the midst of what for the church is a mixed 
experience. The church can't help but be glad that people are coming to faith. But in the same chapter, church leaders are being hurt, persecuted, they're suffering. Scripture says that the Jews from Antioch and Iconium convinced the people of Lystra against Paul. And, and this crowd seems to be impressionable here. Um, and, and what they do is in some ways express what I think is a deep need in the human soul. And if you've been at our church, you've heard this said before, that, that every person uh, worships something. Every person, all of us worship someone, something, some deity, some God. And that's happening in this passage. Uh, the listeners who are, are hearing Paul and Barnabas, uh, they, they misunderstand. And they, they take Paul after these miraculous signs. They're preaching. Paul is the chief speaker. And, and they rush to worship these apostles. And on the one hand, they are giving us evidence that even then, that need to acknowledge God, that need to acknowledge the divine, that need to acknowledge a deity is present even in people who have never been prepared to give language and to talk about God and the gospel. But on the other hand, what we also see is that anyone or any people who is not formed by truth is subject to responding to the closest thing standing. And in this text, the closest thing standing is Paul and Barnabas. The people don't know what to do with the miraculous signs and the evidence except to say, you look good enough, you talk well enough, you must be God. And they connect with their background and their history, these stories as they've, that they've heard, the mythology that they've created to what they see because they haven't been formed. They haven't been taught. And Paul and Barnabas need to stick around, but bad things happen again. And the Jews come, convince them, there's mob kind of violence that happens, and uh, they, they have to leave. I think this relates to us in at least one way. And I, and I think that way is that all of us will pursue one of two things, one of two routes. Um, we will either pursue the praise of people or the glory of God. In your life and in my life, you will either pursue the compliments, the congratulations, the esteem of people, or you will pursue the glory, the honor, the the exaltation of God. You will give your affections and your time and your energy, and your thought life to one or the other. You won't pursue both because one excludes the other. How does this connect with you? Because because it connects with you in a different way than it connects with me. It may be that for some of us, we pursue the praise of people through working all the time and trying to pursue the evaluation of superior people. It may be that for some of us, we, we look at our relationships Relationships, our romantic relationships, the significant others in our lives, and suggest in our time and in how we treat them and in how we think about the relationship that your praise is more important than God's glory. 
so that when you don't act right, and when you get crazy, and when our relationship is not the, you know, where it should be, then my life is out of balance. And eventually, if the relationship does not come back to equilibrium or balance, my life begins to fall apart because I give all of my affections and time and energy to this particular person or to this particular relationship. We will pursue one or the other. We will pursue what God has for us in God's glory or we will pursue the praise of people. And in this passage, there's a bit of both. And Paul and Barnabas are teachers of the faith. And imagine how they are responding in this audience, or with this audience. They are suffering because the audience is not just an unprepared people, but they are also an unkind people. And, and these apostles suffer and 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 we get to see how hard living and grace couple together to present the gospel uh, th- there is both a message in this passage that Paul preaches and there is uh, his life there there is his experience and his expression there is what he says and what he lives and those two come together and we see the gospel before us And these folks in the Lyconian district see and hear the gospel embodied through Paul. You've heard us say it before. You not only uh, carry the message of the gospel, you are the message of the gospel. And the question is, what kind of a gospel are you? What kind of a gospel do you preach? What kind of a gospel do you look like? So that if I were to look at you and say, oh, that's what the gospel really is. What would I see in this passage we see that the gospel is sometimes tutored by suffering. The amazing part of this journey is that Paul nearly loses his life. He leaves, sees fruitful ministry, only to return to the people who almost kill him. And each place that he and his team left, they return again with the same consistent message. And each time they return to each city they return to, they embodied grace in their returning. This makes sense. Some of you are saying yes. Are there any no's? Are there any no's? Let me just. I saw this in a in a particular way in um, in um, in our church, and um, it didn't exactly look like it does in Acts fourteen, but uh, some of you know uh, my wife Dawn, and when. Uh, when uh, we, not too long after we got to, to New Community, um, Dawn left um, where she was working. She was working for five years or so. And uh, she asked me the year before that, I'm going to leave this job. And I said, no, you can't leave. <laughs> and, uh, and so a year later, uh, came back to the decision. And, and uh, a lot of people were a part of that process for her. And... Some of you are here, folks in our small group, and uh, Kathy and Maggie, and, and one of the other folks, especially who uh, was a part of that process for Dawn, 
because it was a time of suffering and um, anguish and a whole lot of other things that she can talk a lot about. Transformation, um, grace, frustration. One of the folks in our church, I'm kind of glad she's not here actually, um, because I can say anything I want about her, was Sarah Carvel. And uh, Sarah, Sarah embodied for my wife, and this is me sort of saying this, and Dawn Dawn would underline this in her own way, was embodying the gospel. And uh, I think she did that because uh, Sarah loves my wife. I mean, Sarah would be on the phone after every application that Dawn submitted and after every interview and before every interview. I mean, they did, I think they even did mock interviews. Um, Sarah's in HR and... um, if my wife wasn't talking to me, she was talking to Sarah. It was so funny. And I, and, 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 and I, and I bring that up, and I bring that up because we suffer for the people we love. We give ourselves for people when we love people. And even more so, when we are trying to present our Savior to people, Because we love them and because we love our Savior, we will suffer, not just for our Savior's sake, but for that person's sake. And and so the bad and the junk that is happening in uh, in this text is is over a floor of love. I I think what this text is standing on is a love, and it is not suffering for the sake of suffering. It is not persecution for the sake of it, but it's suffering because Barnabas and Paul love these people. So two questions for you to think about. The first one, and I I didn't put these on um, the slide, but the first I didn't put any slides together this week, actually. Um, The first question for you is where is your soul when it comes to responding to people who have done you wrong? Where are you? Where is your heart? Where is your soul when people have done you wrong? Now, now before, before I, I get to kind of that point, I want to make a sub point because there's something in this text that I'm not going to talk a whole lot about, but I, I need to say at least something about, and it's in verses 19 and 20. So if you have your Bible, look at it, not listen. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back to the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. What do you notice? What do you notice about those two verses? This is where you talk to me. So as long as everybody doesn't talk at the same time, we're cool. But I have a hunch that that's not going to (laughs) happen. Say what? He went back to the city. Okay, what else do you notice? Thank you. After he was close to death. Thank you. What else do you notice? 
What? He did not retaliate. Okay. Thank you. What else do you notice? Yes. You know you got to talk louder than that. It's fans. Two different crowds of people. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Did you finish? Okay, I can't hear you, but you're saying something really good. I know it, because you're giving me all that. So thank you. Thank you. Anybody? <laughs> oh, are you a visitor? I'm so, oh, look, I'm messing up. Lord, let me come give you a hug. You better come back to this church. Give me a hug. Come on. I'm not this, I'm not bad. Come on, come on. All right, all right. You shouldn't sit next to Jessica, though. She's really not good with visitors. Yeah. Oh, she's your friend. You have friends? Look at that. There's, no, I'm just playing. Okay. All right. Get it together. All right. Get it together, Mike. All right. Anybody else? What else do you notice? What else do you notice? God. Say what? They didn't, blame God. they didn't blame God. You notice I haven't heard what I'm waiting for. That's why I'm there. Uh, one more person. Holy Spirit. Yes. God's going to speak through you. Yes, you. Did you know? Huh? He left. Okay. Tom? No, God spoke through you. Just he didn't say what he was telling me to so say. Jews yeah. came from Antioch and won the crowd. Okay, this is the Jews came. All right, this is this is what this is what nobody's saying. Did you notice that Paul got beat up? Yes. Did you notice that nobody did anything? I was listening. You're right. I was no, I wasn't listening. You're right. No, I actually said it though, but it. Thank you, Leah. How did I know you were a therapist to be? Um, I'm sorry, you did say that. But, but, but the language of retaliation, here, here it is, here it is. Nobody retaliated, but nobody defended Paul. Paul got dragged through the city, and nobody did anything about it. No, they didn't retaliate, take up arms, but they didn't even protect him. And so on the one hand, and let me say this very clearly, we get a beautiful picture of what the the character of the gospel is like after the dragging, but we miss a picture, church, because the church misses an opportunity to stand up and say, what you're doing is wrong. See how we could miss that? We miss opportunities. Now, there are opportunities that we get, that we capture, but Paul was getting dragged through the city, dragged through the mud. Violence was being done to him, and the Christians didn't do anything about it. So, Christians do something about violence that you see. I'm not going to stand up on this soapbox for too long, but, but can I say, and, and, and I'll talk about violence for this sentence or two in the broadest possible terms. If you know someone, if you know somebody in your life, some of your friends, some of your family members, people at your work, and violence is being done to their person, violence is being done to their soul, violence is being done to them. By something, by somebody, by some substance, by some person. If you know that violence is being done, that harm is being done, and you don't do anything about it, you don't stand up and say, this is not right, 
you are missing an opportunity to present an aspect of the gospel. Do you understand that Christianity does not pass opportunities to present justice just so that we can be compassionate? Paul and Barnabas, on the other hand, display a level of character that I think is a model for the church. Because, because what we do get to see, and, and I don't know why Luke wrote the history that he did and the way he did, and, 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 uh, but we don't have the detail that the church said anything. But what we do have is how these leaders responded to this. They did not retaliate. And, and what, that, what that means in other language is that, that these leaders and these Christians were forgiving. They were forgiving. They, they exercised a level of wisdom, a level of perseverance, and a level of forgiveness that we need to note and that we need really to copy, that we need to imitate. Because what we see is this, again, is a response to the God that they are presenting or to Jesus whom they are embodying. They are embodying this message of grace and it is central to Jesus' ministry to be afflicted, to be, to be harmed, to be hurt, to be dragged through the city for people that he loves, by people whom he loves. The Greek verb for these, this, 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 um, the, the way that, the, that Luke talks about the harm that is done to these Christians here, Paul and Barnabas, is the same verb that is used to talk about Herod uh, Agrippa, the king, uh, that bad guy, that king. And, and it's both sort of physical violence and ill disposition and sort of psychological violence. And so in every way, uh, they are experiencing persecution and violence, and yet, They aren't retaliating. They are forgiving. I said a few moments ago that we will seek either the praise of God, uh, the praise of others, or the glory of God. And if you are seeking the glory of God in your life, and, and some of you are, some of you really are, learn this, that forgiveness and active reconciliation glorifies God. Now, it confuses people because it doesn't make any sense, but it glorifies God. And for those same people who are confused, some of you are doing this in awesome ways, and and we know some of the ways that this is being done in our church, and it's a cause for celebration. It's a part of those hallelujahs and those praise God that we will gather together to sing. We're we're doing that because we're we know that some of you are living into this in phenomenal ways. But when you uh, pursue God's glory by being forgiving, by being a reconciling agent in your life, people just might get a glimpse of Jesus. So, so that when you talk and when you re-engage that family member who burned every bridge in the extended family, and you, you work at repairing that break. 
you're going to confuse people in your family. And they may talk about you. They may remind you of the error of that person's ways. But somebody in your family might get a glimpse of Jesus. You might have an opportunity to say, I'm not doing this in my own strength. I'm not doing this because I think this is a good idea. I'm doing this because I have received grace. Because my life was broken and Jesus Christ repaired it. And so now I want to be as best I can and by God's help, a repairer. (sighs) There's a lot to respond to in the book of Acts. And, And we're getting... All of this as we study this this wonderful book, there's a lot to respond. And if we had to respond to this book in our own strength, we'd be jacked up, we'd be messed up, we'd be be set up for failure. But God, God does not leave us to ourselves and to our own abilities when we hear that, that suffering for who you love and standing up when violence is done. God does not leave us alone to do these things. So the first question is, where are you? Where is your soul when it comes to responding to people who have done you wrong? The second question is, where might you be called to even after you've left, after you've checked out, after you've exited the scene? Paul and Barnabas left this violent scene, these mob scenes, because their lives were in danger. They left. Now, what we don't exactly see on first reading in this text is where they went. Um, And commentators say that when Paul and Barnabas left... Um, where these, these po- the Jews whose minds were poisoned, they, 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 they were attacking them. Where they went were regions where there were no Jews. They took refuge in communities that had nobody in them that looked like the communities they had just come out of. In my world, that looks like be careful. Did I say that out loud? Okay, I said be careful. In my world, that looks like, I'll say it like this. So, so, I lived, so I lived for a couple years. I don't claim this because, you know. But I lived for a couple of years when I was in seminary. My wife and I lived in Evanston. And um, this is a true story, this part of it at least. Uh, when we moved into Evanston, when we moved into Evanston, the day we moved in, or the, maybe the week after we moved in, it was, uh, of course, it was in the academic, uh, there are a lot of people who go to Northwestern, right? Don't get offended by this, you know. Um, but when we moved in, we moved in, and we moved in around kind of the academic calendar. Um, we moved into this apartment. My wife's bike got stolen. And um, she wasn't happy about it. I wasn't happy about it. But, you know, who thinks that four blocks away from the lake, from, you know, Northwestern, that, you know, you're going to have somebody steal your stuff? 
my wife's bag got stolen. And, you know, my attitude, if, if I were like Paul and Barnabas in this passage, could have been, you know what, just about everybody in Evanston is white. I'm moving to a community where ain't no white folk. Because white people steal. And I don't want to be around no thief. So I'm going to move to the blackest part of town because, I mean, I'm black too, so I don't want to be around white people. Because white people steal. All white people steal. (laughs) Y'all laughing, but about some of us, people say, well, you know, I can't live in that neighborhood because, first of all, I read the newspaper. And that would take, I'm talking about my wife a lot today, that would take my wife to talk about media and, you know, stories and how the news directors choose what they say about certain communities. And you would be, if you don't know, really taught. Because news directors are really selective about what they say about the neighborhoods that they do talk about. But in my world and in your world, it sounds like some of us making decisions because injustice happened to us that we are not going to go back in certain areas. But what Paul does, and Luke spends no time, I mean, it's like half of a sentence where he says that these apostles leave the Jewish community and go out to a non-Jewish community. And then the text is redemptive because it says they come back. And I want to say in their return... They are embodying what truth of the gospel really is about. And that is that you and I can be uh, harmed, that we can uh, suffer, that we can uh, experience trials. You can call it tribulations. You can call it persecutions. And that we will, because of what God has done in our lives, not allow those things to stop us from returning and showing up. I was listening to Lisa Orris. Uh, can I have five more minutes? Can I have five more minutes? Okay, that really means 10. Um, I was listening to Lisa Orris at annual meeting the, the other uh, week, and she, she talked about an article in her sermon in Time Magazine, and some of you may have seen this. Um, the article title is Power of the People, but it goes into uh, some of the conflict that is happening and uh, uh, was happening, uh, is happening in uh, Iran, and I want to just read a couple of sentences from this, four or five sentences. There is a name of a street that I can't say, uh, and then I'll go into this. So on such and such street, I watched a lone woman dressed in a head-to-toe black shador standing on the side of the road, flashing the peace sign to passing cars and yelling, only Musavi. The woman, a 36-year-old bank employee named Maryam, had told her children to find dinner for themselves. What I'm doing here is more important for their future, she said. When people driving by warned her that she might get beaten for speaking so openly, she said, let them beat me. My country is going to waste. What am I worth in comparison? Just then, a basit charged at her uh, from nowhere, carrying a metal rod. As he prepared to strike her, a group of men got out of their cars, tackled the man, and started beating him. Miriam got up from the ground, composed herself, and went right back to her spot to continue her mission. I watched as seven more people joined her until they were chased away by police 
special forces wielding batons. This woman, um, in her own way, was responding to, um, of course, the elections that, are, that have just happened in Iran, responding to um, her need to express what she values. For Paul and Barnabas, uh, they were valuing the gospel so, they were expressing the gospel so that they subjected themselves to being beat. This woman, in her own way, on this street in Tehran, so captured by the ideal of freedom, the idea of voicing her opinion and having that matter and count, she told her children, do what you need to do to eat. This is more important. What I'm doing is more important for you. She is willing uh, to suffer because she values this freedom, because she loves this idea. And my question for you, my question for us is how far uh, in uh, in order to reflect our faith and in order to present our faith, how far are you willing to go? If you are called upon to do so by God, are you willing to suffer? Now you might not, but are you ready to? Are you willing to engage in the suffering of someone else in order that they might get a glimpse of Jesus Christ, that they might see in and through you God? Again, some of you are doing this, but others of us need to hear this question. For some of you, it may be participating in something like Sankofa, the Sankofa journey that our denomination puts on. It's this intentional prayer experience where issues of race and injustice and history come before uh, the, the participants of this and they engage in what can easily be forgotten. What we could say, look, let's not even deal with that. Let's not go back to that. For some of you, it may look like going to your family reunions this summer and, and, and when everybody else is making jokes, you being the person who doesn't laugh at the jokes because the jokes aren't funny. I don't know. How will it look for you? How will it look for me to engage in suffering, to engage in this idea of returning back to where we have left? I'm almost done. Church, you will suffer in every circumstance, hear me, where Christ is forming in you a witness. I talked to couples who are getting married or who want to get married, and, um, and um, I... You know, I talk to a, a, a couples who are married, and uh, and sometimes, sometimes, you know, when I when I got married, I was really young. Now I'm just young, but I was really young, and um, <laughs> and um, you know, I I wasn't. I, 
I'm going to say this. You know, I, I see things in general. I, I, can, I can see, I can have a sense of vision. I can, I can sort of forecast. I can see your life if you want me to, you know. But, but when I looked at the idea of suffering when I was getting married, I was, I was a bit more theoretical. And, um, and, and I found out that there, in, in a marriage, is, is um, uh, a lot of suffering. And uh, there's a lot of joy, a lot of joy. Remember, there's good and bad. There's good and bad. There's good and bad. But, but um, there, there, is, there is often unseen suffering. And, and that when you take a lifelong marital vow, you are signing up, pledging for unseen suffering. And in the same way, when you give your life to Christ, there is joy unspeakable, but there is unseen suffering. And the question for us is whether or not following this Jesus, we will love him enough to live through the unseen suffering. So as I close, listen, listen to these questions. Will you go back to the people and places who hurt you, who left you to die, if that is the direction that the Spirit of God leads you in? Will you re-engage that family members, that family member whose views about race and racism are outdated, or that friend who sees the gospel in a way so narrative that no one can be saved, much less those who have no power or influence? Will you talk to that person? Will you listen to that person whom you clash with? Will you pray for that man? who you know it will take God to reach. Will you go again and again to the same coffee shop or business or class and subject your Jesus to the onslaught of people who care nothing about him? Uh, Jacob, worship team, come on back. If you do, and, and when you re-engage, when you go, you do so, friends of mine, in love. And, and, and the same love that God places in you to go back, to return, to engage again, is the love that will ultimately capture the hardest heart for Jesus. One of the hymns of the church that we will not sing says, It may be in the valley where countless dangers lie. It may be in the sunshine where I in peace abide. But this one thing I know, if it be dark or fair, if Jesus goes with me, I'll go Anywhere and, and, and church, can I tell you as, as we close that sometimes the biggest decision in your life is return to the people and to the places you left with evidence of your transformation. Are there people who you've given up on who may brighten at the idea that you return? Are there people in your life that need to hear how God has changed you? Bow your heads. Dear God,
thank you so much for how you change lives. Thank you that your thank you that your power is strong enough for the worst of us. Thank you that your power reaches the perpetrator and the victim. That you're able to save whom we see as unsavable. And so this morning, Lord, as we as we continue to remember the word of God, would you take us take our lives Lead us, guide us where you will, empowering us each step of the way. Church, as you go this week, pursue either the praise of people or the glory of God. If you choose the glory of God, may God be with you. If you choose the praise of people, may God be with you too. Uh, Come back next week, even if you visited today and got harassed. Um, Everybody have a great week. Take care.